Purple.com. Sleep better for less. Number one in customer satisfaction. Two years in a row with Mattresses Online by J.D. Power Award. Pick the right mattress for you. The Purple Mattress, dual layered comfort foam. Purple Hybrid, breathable, responsive support. Purple Hybrid, premier, less pressure for a dreamy floating. The Ascent, adjustable base to make it possible to work, read, and lounge in bed. Bundle up for big savings, 10% off premium bedding and cushion bundles. Kids mattresses, ultimately placed grid and softer form for best support for little sleepers. Enjoy no pressure support with free sheets and two pillows on select mattresses. Purchase up to 247 value. Sleepy Jones and Purple Jammers all day comfort with soft stretch uninspired pajamas while you lounge while you worry about breakfast. Some products are Purple Harmony Pillow, Double Seat Cushion, Purple and Gravity Weighted Blanket, Purple Duvet. Choose Purple for no pressure support for everybody. 30 years, 30 plus years, and no and 35 patents. Comfort Gel Grid Technology uh, originally created to make wheelchairs more comfortable than they remembered beds. People love Purple. Period. Positively. P A W S. Positively comfy even for your fur baby. Good morning. Here is chapter one of Laura Ingalls Wilder's The Long Winter. Chapter title Make Hay While the Sun Shines. The mowing, the mowing machine's whirring sounded cheerfully from the old buffalo wallow south of the claim shanty where blue-stemmed grass stood thick and tall and Paul was cutting it for hay. The sky was high and quivering with heat over the, the shimmering prairie. Halfway down to sunset, the sun blazed as hotly as at noon. The wind was scorching but hot, but Paul had hours of mowing yet to do before he could stop for the night. Laura drew up a pail full of water from the well at the edge of the big slough. She rinsed the brown jug till it was cool onto her hand. Then she filled it with the fresh cold water, corked it tightly, and started with it to the hayfield. Swans of little white butterflies hovered over the path. A dragonfly with gauzy wings swiftly chased them. Now, on the stubble of cut grass, the striped gophers were scampering. All at once, they ran for their lives and dived into their holes. Then Laura saw a swift shadow and looked up at the eyes of the claws of a hog overhead. But all the little gophers were safe in their holes. Paul was glad to see Laura with the water jug. He got down from the mowing machine and drank a mouthful. Ah, that hits his spot, he said, and tipped up the jug again. Then he corked it, and setting it on the ground, he covered it with cut grass. This sun almost makes a fellow want a bunch of sprouts to make a shade. He joked that he was really glad there were no trees. He had grabbed so many sprouts from his clearing in the big woods every summer. Here on the Dakota prairies, there was not a single tree, not one sprout, not a bit of shade anywhere. And man works better when he's warmed up anyway, Paul said cheerfully, and chirped to the horses. Sam and David plodded on, working, drawing the machine. The long steel-toothed blade were steadily whirring against the tall grass and laid it down flat. Paul rode on the open iron seat, watching it lie down, his hand on the lever. Laura sat in the grass to watch him go once once around. (coughs) The heat there smelled as good as an oven when bread is baking. 
the little brown and yellow striped gophers were hurrying again all around all about her tiny birds fluttered and flew to cling to bending grass stems bouncing lightly a striped garter snake came blowing and curving through the forest of grass sitting hunched with her chin on her knees laura felt suddenly as big as a mountain when the snake curved up its head and stared at the high wall of her calico skirt. Its round eyes were shining like beads and its tongue was flickering so fast that it looked like a tiny jet of stream. A steam. The whole bright stripes snake had a gentle look. Laura knew that garter snakes will not harm anyone and they are good to have on a farm because they eat the insects that boil uh, spoil crops. It stretched its neck low again and making a perfect, perfectly square turn in itself because it could not climb over Laura. It went flowing around her and away in the grass. Then the mowing machine whirled louder and the horses came nodding their heads slowly in time with their feet. David, stu- David jumped when Laura spoke almost under his nose. Whoa, Pa said startled. Laura, I thought, you'd go- I thought you'd gone. Why are you hiding in the grass like a prairie chicken? Pa, Laura said, why can't I help you make hay? Please let me, Pa, please. Paul lifted his hat and ran his, ran his fingers through his sweat-damp hair, standing it all on end and letting the wind blow through it. You're not very big nor strong, little half-pint. I'm going on 14, Laura said. I can help, Pa. I know I can. The mowing machine had cost so much that Pa had no money left to pay for help. He could not trade work because there were only a few homesteads in this new country and they were busy on their own clans. But we needed... But he needed help to stack the hay. Well, Pa said, maybe you can. We'll try it, if you can, by George. We'll get this hang done all by ourselves. Laura could see that the thought of was a load off Pa's mind, and she hurried to the shanty to tell Ma. Why, I guess you can, Ma said doubtfully. She did not like to see women working in the fields. Only foreigners did that. Ma and her girls were Americans above doing men's work. But Laura's helping with the hay would solve the problem, she decided. Yes, Laura, you may. Carrie eagerly offered to help. I'll carry the drinking water out to you. I'm big enough to carry the jug. Carrie was almost ten, but small for her age. And I'll do your share of the housework besides, Mel. Mine, Mary offered happily. She was proud that she could wash dishes and make beds as well as Laura, though she was blind. The sun was hot. The, the sun and hot wind cured the cut grass so quickly that Pa raked it up next day. He raked it into long windows, then he raked the windows into big haystacks and early the next morning, while the dawn was still cool and meadowlarks were singing, Laura rode to the field with Pa in the haystack. There Pa walked beside the wagon and drove the horses between the rows of haycocks. At every haycock he stopped the horses and pitched the hay up into the hay rack. It came tumbling loosely over the high edge and Laura trampled it down. Up and down and back and forth she trampled the loose hay with all the might of her legs while the forkfuls kept coming over and failing and falling and she went on trembling while the wagon jolted on the hay next haycock. Then Pa pitched more hay in from the other side. Under her feet the hay climbed higher, trampled down as solid as hay can be, up and down, fast and hard, her legs kept going. The length of the hay rack and back and across the middle the sunshine was hotter and the smell of the hay rose up sweet and strong under her feet it bounced on it bounced and over the edges of the hay rack it kept coming. All the time she kept rising higher on the trampled down hay. Her head rose above the edges of the rack and she could have looked at the prairie if she could have stopped trampling. Then the rack of full 
Then the rack was full of hay and still more hay and still more came flying up from Pa's pitchfork. Laura was very high up now and the slippery hay was sloping downward around her. She went on trampling carefully. Her face and neck were wet with sweat and sweat trickled down her back. Her sun bonnet hung by its wings and her braids had come undone. Her long brown hair flew loose in the wind. Then Pa stepped up on the whiffle trees. He rested one foot on David's broad hip and clambered up onto the load of hay. You've done a good job, Laura, he said. You've trampled the hay down so well that we've got a big load on the wagon. Laura rested in the prickly warm hay while Pa drove near the, to the stable. Then, he, then she slid down and sat in the shade of the wagon. Pa hitched down some hay. Then climbed down and spread it evenly to make the big round bottom of a stack. He climbed onto the load and pitched more hay. Then climbed down and leveled it on the stack and trampled it down. I could spread it, Pa, Laura said, so you wouldn't have to keep climbing up and down. Pa pushed back his hat and leaned for a minute on the pitchfork. Stack is a job for two, that's a fact, he said. This way takes too much time. Being willing helps a lot. But you're not a very big, but you're not very big, little half pint. She could only get him to say, "Well, we'll see." But when they came back with the next load, he gave her a pitchfork and let her try. The long fork was taller than she was, and she did not know how to use it, so she called it clumsily. So she handled it clumsily. But while Pa tossed the hay from the wagon, she spread it as well as she could, walking around and around on the stack to pack it tightly, in spite of the best she could. Pa had to level the stack for the next load. Now the sun and the wind was hotter and Laura's legs quivered while she made them tremble. She was glad to rest for a little while, times between, for the little times between the field and the stack. She was thirsty, then she was thirstier, and then she was so thirsty that she could drink of nothing else. She could think of nothing else. It seemed forever till 10 o'clock when Carrie came lugging the jug half full. Pa told Laura to drink first, but not too much. Nothing was ever so good as that cold, cool wetness going down her throat. At the taste of it, she stopped in surprise that Carrie clapped her hands and cried out laughing, Don't tell Laura. Don't tell Pa till Ma- Don't tell till Pa tastes it. Ma said the ginger water she had sweetened the cold well water with sugar, flavored it with vinegar, and put in plenty of ginger to warm their stomachs so they could drink till they were not thirsty. Ginger water would not make them sick as plain cold as plain cold water would when they were so hot. Such a treat made that ordinary day into a special day and the first day that Laura helped in the haying. By noon they had hauled all the hay and finished the stack. Pops topped it himself. It takes a great skill to round the top of a haystack so that it will shed rain. Dinner was ready when they went to the shanty. Ma looked sharply at Laura and asked, Is the work too hard for her, Charles? Oh no, she's as stout as a little French horse. She's been a great help, said Pa. It would have taken me all day to stack that hay alone, and now I have the whole afternoon for mowing. Laura was proud. Her arms ached and her back ached and her legs ached, and that night in bed she ached all over so badly that tears well swelled out of her eyes, but she did not tell anyone. As soon as Pa had cut and raked enough hay for another stack, he and Laura made for it. Laura's arms and legs got used to the work and did not ache so badly. She liked to see the stacks that she helped to make. She helped Pa make a stack on each side of the stable and door and and a long stack over the whole top of the dugout.
stable. Besides these, they made three more big stacks that all are upland hay is cut. I want to put up a lot of slough hay posset. It doesn't cost anything and maybe there'll be some sale for it when new settlers come in next spring. Some palm mold, the coarse tall grass and big slough and Laura helped him stack that. It was so much heavier than the blue stem grass that she could not handle it with a pitchfork, but she could trample it down. One day, when Pa came climbing up to the top of the load, she told him, You left a haycock, Pa. I have, said Pa, surprised. Where? Over there in the tall grass. Oh, look where she pointed. Pa looked where she pointed, then he said, That isn't a haycock, half but That's a muskrat house. He looked at it a moment longer. I'm going to have a closer look at that, he said. Want to come along? The horses will stand. He pushed away through the harsh, tall grass, and Laura followed close behind him. The ground underfoot was soft and marshy, and, <coughs> and water lay in pools among the grass roots. Laura could see why. Laura could see only paws back, and the grasses all around her, taller than she was. She stepped carefully, for the ground was growing wetter. Suddenly, water spread out before her in a shimmering pool. At the edge of the pool stood the muskrat's house. It was taller than Laura and far larger than her arms could reach around. Its rounded sides and top were rough, hard gray. The muskrats had gnawed dry grass to bits and mixed the bits well with mud to make a good plaster for their house. And they had built it up solidly and smoothly and rounded the top carefully to shed rain. The, lower, the house had no door, but no path led to it anywhere. And the grass stubble around it and along the muddy rim of the pool, there was not one paw print. There was nothing to tell how the muskrats went in and out of their house. Inside those thick, still walls, Paul said the muskrats were sleeping now. Each family curled in his own little room, lined softly with grass. Each room had a small, round doorway that opened into a small, sloping hall. The hallway curved down through the house from top to bottom and ended in dark water. That was the muskrat's front door. After the sun had gone, the muskrat spoke and went pattering down the smooth mud floor of their hallway. They plunged into the black water and came up through the pool to the side to the wide, wild night under the sky. All night long in the starlight and moonlight, they swam and played along the edges of the water, feeding on shrubs and stems and leaves of the water plants and grasses. When, drawn, when dawn was coming, ghostly gray, they swam home. They dived and came up through their water door dripping they went up the slope of their hallway each up to his own grass lined room there they curled comfortably to sleep laura put her hand on the wall of their house the coarse plaster was hot in the hot wind and sunshine but inside the thick mud walls in the dark the air must be cool she liked to think of the muskrat sleeping there paul was shaking his head we're going to have a hard winter he said not liking the prospect why how do you know laura asked in surprise the colder the winter will be, the thicker the muskrats build the walls of their houses, Paul told her. I never saw a heavier built muskrat's house than that one. Laura looked at it again. It was very solid and big, but the sun was blazing, burning on her shoulders through the faded thin calico, and the hot wind was blowing, and struck the damp mud smell of the slough was ripening smell of grasses parching in the heat. Laura could hardly think of the ice and snow and cruel cold. Pa... 
How can the muskrats know, she asked. I don't know how they know, Paul said, but they do. God tells us somehow, I suppose. Then why doesn't God tell us, Laura wanted to know? Because, said Paul, we're not animals, we're humans, and like it says in the Declaration of Independence, God created us free. That means we got to take care of ourselves. Laura said faintly, I thought God take care of us. He does, Paul said, so far as we do what's right. <coughs> and he gives us a... And he gives us a conscience of friends to know what's right. But he leaves us. To, he leaves it to us to do as we please. That's the difference between us and every, everything else in the creation. Can't masters do what they please? <coughs> Laura asked, amazed. No, said Paul. I don't know why they can't, but you can't see. But you can't see they can't. Look at that muskrat house. Muskrats have to build that kind of house. They always have, and they always will. It's plain they can't build any other kind, but folks build all kinds of houses. A man can build any kind of house he can think of. So if his house won't, don't keep out the weather, that's his lookout. He's free and independent. Paul stood thinking for a minute. Then he jerked his head. Come along, little half-pint. We better make hay while the well sun shines. His eyes twinkled, and Laura laughed because the sun was shining. <laughs> was all his might, but all the rest of that afternoon they were rather sober. The Mascots had a warm, thick walled house to keep out the cold and snow, but the clam shanty was built of thin boards and that had shrunk in the summer heat till the narrow battens, bo- battens hardly covered the wide cracks in the wall. Boards and tall paper were not very snug shelter, snug shelter against the hard winter. Thanks for listening to this first chapter of Laura Ingalls Wilder's The Long Winter. Have a good week and stay safe.